so if you've been tracking with us over the, like, the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we're right slap bang in the middle of a series on the book of Ephesians called For This Reason. And today we are going to be jumping in and out of 52 verses. I know, hardcore. So we're going to be starting at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, going right up to Ephesians 5 verse 20. But there's one verse that I would love out of all of those 52 verses to get stuck in our heads written on our hearts this morning, and it's that one that you can see just behind me. It's Ephesians 4 verse 1, it says this, and it's Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I'll never forget being invited over to my youth leader's house. Uh, I guess I was about 17 years old, and um, I was so excited to have been invited, because I was thinking, they must just think I'm so brilliant. Or they were gonna tell me like, how much potential they saw in me, or maybe even to ask my advice for how to run the youth a little bit better. Um, so arrogant. But um, I was in for a shock, because you see, that conversation definitely didn't quite go to plan. You see, I knew Jesus, and by this point, I'd had a pretty good understanding of what it meant to, to, to live for him, like what, what he'd done for me, but I just wasn't living it out. It stopped there. And um, I was on the verge of failing my first year of my A-levels. Okay, my attitude was, it was literally appalling. Like, I was so cheeky, I'm sure you can't imagine it. I was so cheeky to the teachers when I bothered to rock up. And um, at other times, I'd just be off with my mates, bunking lessons, cruising around town in my dad's car, thinking I was cool or hard, as we used to say. And um, then when it came to church, like, things weren't much better. I remember this one time rocking up to church on a Sunday evening with my Alco Pops, the Bacardi Breezers, bringing them in, I don't know why I took them in, putting them under the, under the pew, and then doing the liturgy, confessing that Jesus was Lord with my lips, raising my hands in worship, and then going out and drinking all of them and making some stupid decisions. And my youth leader, you see where this is going, she caught wind of it. Like she, she, she was just not mincing her words before I'd even got like a bite of that dinner into me. She said to me, Susie, what are you doing? What are you doing? She was basically saying, like, step up, Susie. Start living a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And um, she loved me enough not just to say it, but to walk with me through making some changes, uh, which have taken many, many, many years, even taking me to work with her on one occasion. Can you think of a situation a little bit like that in your life? I don't know, it might be perhaps a friend or, or family or a colleague or somebody challenging you on something, some sort of attitude or a relationship or a behaviour that is just leading you nowhere good. For me, like looking back, uh, certainly on that moment and many since, I've been so grateful to those people. There's been many, many occasions for people who have, they've earned the right, they've loved me enough to say, Susie, in light of all that Jesus has done for you, live a life that's worthy of that calling. And this verse, Ephesians 4, uh, verse 1, it, it's basically, it, it's the hinge verse in the entire book of Ephesians. Because in the three chapters running up to that, if you've been here over the last few weeks, it's been amazing because we find out who we are once we become a follower of Jesus. We find out our new identity. And Paul has been hammering on. He's been going over and over and over about what Jesus has done for us. He's redeemed us and he's forgiven us. We were dead in our sin, but now we're alive in Christ. 
He's filled us with the Holy Spirit. He's raised us up and seated us with Jesus. He's brought us into his family, the diverse body of Christ. We are loved beyond a measure. No height, no width, no depth. It's incredible. And he's put his power in us and is able to do immeasurably more. And so it's for this reason that Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And if you're eagle-eyed there, you'll notice that was a slightly different translation. And so, some translations here, they use the word then, some use the word therefore, but I'm used, I use the NRSV there because the word therefore is close to translation to what Paul is actually trying to get at. Paul is saying, right, in light of all that Jesus has done, therefore, live differently. Or as we've named this sermon series, for this reason, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. So I wonder if the question on our, on our minds and on our hearts is, well, you know, what is the calling? Like, is it a calling to a monastery? Is it a calling to a convent? If it was, I'm not sure I'm quiet enough to live there. Because when I hear the word calling, like, I, I sort of initially think of certain vocations, you know, maybe like plumbers or teachers or, or accountants or something. And I do believe that God does call us to specific vocations. You know, I'd say that I feel called to be a pastor. Many of you here will be called to do whatever it is that you do day to day. But Paul isn't actually referring to that kind of call in these verses. He's talking actually about a general and all-play call that applies to all of us if we'd call ourselves a follower of Jesus. So he goes on to explain the first thing I want to say today, that we are all called to Jesus. He says in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Or as Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, we're urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So we're all called to Jesus. But the point I want to major on today, which is the point of these, the majority of these verses that we're in today, is that we are also called to all be like Jesus. At the start of chapter five, Paul says this, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in other, in, in other words, Jesus loved us and he died for us. So for this reason, live a life of love following God's example. Now, I don't know how you feel about it. You might kind of feel like that's a little bit daunting. You might be thinking, so uh, I've got to be like Jesus, like not just when I'm here on a Sunday, but actually in the week as well. That's a little bit hardcore. Or be willing to make personal sacrifices. Give my life up for someone else like Jesus did for the world. I find it hard enough to give up a parking space, like let alone anyone else. If anyone else was at Tesco Beeston yesterday, you'll know why that's such a challenge. But that's another story. But it's challenging stuff. The scriptures, it's, it's challenging. It's a, it's a really challenging read. And I want to give a little bit of a word of warning this morning because these, we are going to be delving into some pretty challenging verses. And in preparing for this talk, you know, I'm painfully aware that there's areas of my life that I need to grow in, but I'm challenged and I'm convicted 
as I read the scriptures, and I'm praying that you are too. Because my hope is this morning that we would be inspired, that we'd be, you know, we'd be challenged. And that I'd be able to do that in a way that doesn't leave people feeling judged. It certainly doesn't come across like I've got my life totally sorted. Because all of us are works in progress. But Paul is urging us and he's encouraging us. He's saying, once you have chosen to follow Jesus, he's speaking specifically to Jesus' followers, we've got to do our best to live it out. So the question is how? You know, how do we do that? And Paul uses like a cool analogy that we're going to get into to describe the change, the change that has happened to us when we were united with Jesus, you know, when we gave our yes to Jesus, but also the change that is happening as we continue to live our lives and to journey with Jesus. He says this, verse 422. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made in, in the new attitude, in, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true, true righteousness and holiness. So the analogy that Paul's using, I want to try and bring it to life a little bit this morning. And um, you see, what, what Paul is describing is he's describing our old self a little bit like this T-shirt. Okay, this T-shirt has been uh, stained in coffee. It stinks. And also, when you shake it, look, <coughs> it's going to give me an asthma attack or something. But this T-shirt, it represents your old self. It represents you before you met Jesus, dead in your sin, separated from God, corrupted, as Paul would say. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, Trent Vineyard, people who follow Jesus, like, take off that stuff. Take off that stuff because you have become a new creation. And instead, put this bad boy on, okay? Maybe not the best word, but this represents (laughs) the joys of being an extrovert. This represents our new self, our new identity, who we become when we follow Jesus. And Paul is saying, clothe yourself in your new identity. He's saying, live like you are. Does anybody here remember starting secondary school? Most people probably do. It's a a marker. I remember just loving the Bunsen burners. It's just absolutely brilliant. Um, But I wonder if anybody rocked up to secondary school wearing the same uniform that they wore at primary school. If you did, I'd love to know how that went. You probably need some ministry at the end. You know, and I'm guessing nobody did because when you went to your secondary school, you no longer belonged to that old school. You had a new uniform. And in the same way, what Paul is saying, he's saying, now that you're alive in Christ, you have a new identity. And the new identity warrants a change to the way you present yourself to the world. You're wearing a new uniform. That's why Paul has basically spent those first three chapters hammering home the point about this new identity we have in Jesus. And he's saying, put off your old self, put on your new self. This is who you are, and you're called to wear it and to live it out. So here's where it's going to get challenging, because these verses, they're, they're literally jumbo-packed with advice, way more, and in way more detail that we can possibly go into today. But he's essentially saying, as I sort of read the verses, he says, Paul is essentially saying, there are a bunch of behaviours that belong over here, that belong in your old self, and there's a bunch of behaviours that belong over here in your new self. And I think you can summarise them into three categories. The first one, what comes out of our mouths, it matters. Secondly, how we, what we do with our bodies matters. 
And thirdly, how we handle our emotions matters. I told you it's a deep one this morning. So firstly, in light of our calling, what comes out of our mouths matters. Years ago, um, Debbie and I were in a line management meeting. She was managing me, obviously. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, we'd had our meeting, Debbie closed her notebook, she put her pen on top, and she looked me in the eyes and she said, Susie, there's something I need to talk to you about. And you remember it well, don't you? And uh, very kindly, and in her lovely voice, she said, Susie, you need to stop swearing. It's not God's best for you, and if you don't sort it out, it's going to hold you back from what God's got for you. And in that moment, I must say, my initial response was, anger. I was like, how on earth does she know that? Um, but I managed to find a little dose of maturity in me. And although I wasn't like a prolific swearer, she was right. Like at times it was an issue and it needed to change. Because you see, what Debbie was doing in the most kind and loving way was pointing me to what Paul is trying to get at in these verses. Paul is saying, put off your old self. Put off deceitfulness, put off unwholesome talk, put off slander. That stuff, it belongs over here in your old self. And he's saying, live over here. You're in your new identity. Speak the truth. Use your words to, to encourage others and build each other up. Be kind. And in preparing this, I've learned that that word unwholesome talk that we see there in the scriptures, it's actually used in the Gospels to negatively describe fish or fruit. And it's literally like Paul is saying, don't talk rotten. Love that. I wonder if you can think of a time where um, you've said something that you've instantly, regret, you've instantly regretted it. Or maybe you've done that thing, you know when you send a text and it's about somebody else, but you accidentally send it to the person, it's for when you say, I, I, I don't know how the way out of this. Um, a little bit like this, a friend of mine was on holiday uh, recently and they were lost. They were looking for a hotel and so they called the hotel receptionist to kind of ask for directions. And the hotel um, receptionist was not that helpful. And so eventually they hung up the phone and they yelled, well, he was as useful as a chocolate teapot. Which, I mean, they could have said worse things, but wasn't exactly that kind. And they spent sort of the next, like, time driving around for miles and miles, being lost, muttering complaints about this guy, about his directions, before eventually finding that hotel. So they walked through the hotel room into the reception, only to find that that chocolate teapot man, is, the receptionist, is there. They hadn't hung up the phone, and um, he's heard all of it. He's heard all of it, and he made it very clear that he'd heard it. I love that moment. I wish I'd been there. <laughs> I wish I had been there, because that is super, mega, double awkward. But you know, the damage was done. The damage was done. There was nothing they could do to take those words back. It's a little bit like that toothpaste tube analogy. You know, it takes 10 seconds to get the, tube, the toothpaste out of the tube. It's almost impossible to get it back in. What comes out of our mouths, it matters. I don't know where you are challenged with this. You know, when someone's really, really annoyed you, do you use that as an opportunity to just go massive and tell them and slate them? When people around you are perhaps gossiping, do you find yourself just, just joining in? If somebody's being targeted with, with banter that's just gone way too far, maybe in the workplace or something, what do you do about that? Paul's saying, the words that come out of our mouths, they matter. And he's also saying to get rid of lying. Like, you know, I doubt many of us in this room are necessarily compulsive liars. Some might be. But let's not automatically sort of exclude ourselves from this one. Because what about those moments where you just kind of 
bend the truth a little bit. Maybe um, you've been guilty of sort of embellishing a story, you know, making it a little bit funnier, adding in a few untrue or half-true facts just to make yourself look better. I think I might have done that in the past. Paul's saying, speak truthfully. What about a situation where something goes wrong and it's actually your fault, but you spin it to kind of put the blame on somebody else? Paul's saying, speak truthfully. Or how about this one? This is a good one. You, you get up in the morning and you get up too late. You decide to go big on your breakfast. And you're basically late for work because you had, I don't know, avocado and poached eggs or something. And then you get to work and you say, traffic was bad this morning. No, you're late because you had a mega breakfast. Speak truthfully. And I wonder today, as I've been kind of preparing this, how attractive it is to be around people who are wise with their words. I'd love you to consider somebody in your life who's wise with their words because I think you'd also say that they'd put on the truth. They'd put on encouraging you, that they were kind because they were living in their new self, in their new identity. In light of the calling we've received, what comes out of our mouths matters. When it comes to our bodies, Paul also has got a few thoughts. So again, Paul is saying, he's saying, stop behaving like the old self. Put off stealing, put off sexual immorality, put off drunkenness. He's saying those things, they don't lead you anywhere life-giving. And he's saying, instead, live over here. Like, put on your new self, be honest, put on integrity, be filled with the Holy Spirit, be holy. And I don't think Paul is trying to be some kind of party pooper here. You know, he's not saying don't enjoy a glass of wine, which is a relief because I enjoy a pina colada. But he is saying too much of these things, they lead us to a place where ultimately we end up worshipping something else other than God. And I think we can include sexual immorality in this category as well. And we don't have time necessarily to go into loads of detail with this. Some of you are probably quite relieved. But when I read this passage... And I saw these verses in here, I thought, well, perhaps I could just gloss over that bit. But we've got to be followers of Jesus who read the entire scriptures and not be worried about the little bits that we find challenging. Because this is perhaps, when it comes to sex, this is perhaps one area where the Bible so clearly contradicts the message and the narrative of our culture. Because we live in a culture like this kind of sex-obsessed culture that says, you know, be as free as you want, like, do what you want, just... Do whatever makes you happy. But I believe that the Bible teaches that sex is, is a beautiful thing, that it's sacred, that it's to be enjoyed in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. I believe that that's where we find freedom. And I know that that is a challenge. And even as I'm talking about some of this stuff, I'm aware that this subject is so deep, it's complex, it can be deeply, deeply personal. And that you, wherever you are at with this stuff, you are welcome. But it means that the Bible sets boundaries. And I believe that freedom comes through boundaries. And I'm living this out, doing my best to live this out myself. It means if you're single, like I am, you're called to be celibate. And I can tell you this, that you can live a life that is fully flourishing and not have sex. It is possible. I'm living it out. If you're dating, you too are called to be celibate. And if you're married, to be faithful to your spouse. It's tempting to, to live over here. It's tempting to live in our old self. But if we call ourselves a follower of Jesus, we're called to live over here in our new identity. And I'm aware for some of you, as I just said a moment, like especially if you're new to church this morning, 
This might just seem crazy. Like, you might actually be shocked, like, and in total disbelief that somebody in 2022 could be stood on a stage and saying that these words are not just words, that they're words that carry truth and authority and also life. You know, you might feel offended or, or judged by what I've said, but what I want to make so clear to you today, so clear to anybody, especially if you feel a sense of brokenness in this area, or you've made some mistakes like lots of us have, that you are loved. Read those first three chapters of Ephesians. There's grace, grace beyond grace beyond grace found in the arms of Jesus. There is also a loving community here who wants to get alongside you to pray for you and to support you. But alongside the expression of grace and acceptance, Paul, he's not mincing his words. Like he's, he's making it crystal clear to us about the life that we're called to live, the clothes we're called to wear. He's saying, put off stealing, put off drunkenness, put off sexual immorality. And he's saying, guys, there's a better way. There's a better way. Put on holiness, put on integrity, be filled with the Spirit. They are the things that are going to lead us to life. Life in all its fullness. And I tell you what, I think we all need a bit of that. And so if you're here today and there's, there's areas you want to make a change, where you want to grow, then we want to support you. You know, if you're in a small group, please chat to your leader. If you're not getting one, you can head to the Connect or to the link if you're watching online. Come up at the end, get some prayer. In light of our calling, what we do with our bodies matters. And thirdly, how we handle our emotions matters. So again, we've got the scriptures here that you can see in that table, but Paul is saying, stop behaving like the old self. You know, he's saying, he's saying it's time to get rid of rage. It's time to get rid of built-up anger and start behaving like the new self. Resolve the anger. Practice forgiveness. Put on thankfulness. Has anybody here ever got angry? We just talked about telling the truth. So all of us have got angry. From time to time, I find myself getting angry. I was actually preparing a sermon once, and I had all these different papers, and all the, you know, loads of papers in my hand, and this building work was going on in my house, and it was drilling like, and literally, I could not think. The sermon was not coming together, and I just had this outburst. I was like, I can't do this anymore! And I just flew the papers all up in the room, all around the room, and then I just thought, well, now I'm going to have to pick them all up again. Um, I'm sure we've all had moments, and that's a tame one. And I'm not, you know, Paul isn't necessarily condemning, like, the feeling of anger. Because we do see times in the Gospels where Jesus himself gets angry. But what Paul is talking about is, like, the outworking of that anger and to do it in a healthy way. Paul is saying how you handle your emotions, it matters. And he's saying storing up anger. He's saying, what he's saying is, it's like, he's saying, if you store up anger, it will fester in your heart and it will grow. Instead, Paul's saying, he's saying, don't let the sun go down where you're still angry. He's basically saying, resolve the anger. And you know what? I know that this is, these kind of things, they're way easier said than actually done, aren't they? And um, without going into the details, there's been a couple of situations in my life more recently where there's been times where I have felt so wronged, where I felt angry, and to be honest, where my initial response has really not wanted to, to resolve that anger in any way. But what I've learned and what I'm trying to learn is to how to process these emotions in a healthy way, to give the emotion to God, you know, to, to come before him and to do everything I can do on my part to resolve it. And then you know what? I've started to pray for them. 
Because there's a freedom that comes as we release people, as we pray for them. And I pray blessing over them. I pray blessing and thankfulness over them because it's amazing what the freedom brings. Because Paul is seemingly here trying to contrast rage, which I think we all know what that is, but you know, overwhelming anger with forgiveness. He's saying, forgive each other just as Christ God forgave you. It's this imitation, it's the copycat language which we often see from Paul. Christ has forgiven us, so for this reason, forgive one another. And as I said earlier, you know, none of us are perfect. You figured that out, especially about me. But this stuff, right, it's not about perfection. It's not about perfection. It's certainly not about judging others or judging people who don't know Jesus. But what it's about is it's about us having an increasingly, overwhelmingly, revelation of who Jesus is. And it's like the more you see of him, the more you want. And the more you want, the more you then become like him. We're all on a journey. And we might read these verses. You might read them this afternoon and think, I'm not sure I measure up. Well, I don't think many of us feel like we measure up. But God has called us, in light of what he's done, for this reason, to be set apart. You know, to be distinctive, he's empowered us through the Holy Spirit. We don't have to do this stuff on our own because he's empowered us to live a life that is worthy to the calling, which my words, what else could he have done? How far so far when this far is that far? You know that phrase? We're called to be Jesus. We're called to be like him. What comes out of our mouths matters. What we do with our bodies matters. How we handle our emotions matters. And the language that Paul is using is not tame. Like he's not saying, uh, in light of all that Jesus has done, like if it's convenient, or if, if it feels like it, or if it doesn't cost you anything, or if it fits in with the culture, he is urging us, he's literally begging us, increasingly, live over here. Like live in your new identity. He's calling us to be the people that we are, in light of all that he's done, to be distinctive. And maybe more than ever, This is what the church of today needs to be, to be distinctive. We're called to leave this stuff behind, to leave this stuff behind and and live over here, put this stuff on, live in our new identity. And you know, as we do that, as we increasingly do that individually and together as the church, I'm convinced, I'm convinced about this stuff, that the church would be so full of attractive, spirit-filled Jesus followers who are living, who are are proclaiming this stuff with their lips and living it with their lives. And I think that the world out there would start to see an attractive Jesus through us.